Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Please join me in welcoming back Monsignor Charles Pope. Well, I was asked to speak tonight on the topic, this is not my title, it was given to me, you will speak on this topic. Uh, our Father, Deliverance from Evil Through the Prayer of Christ, and it's in two parts. Tonight we're going to talk specifically about the prayer, uh, the Our Father itself. We'll be looking at the Our Father itself, and I, I want to begin um, in trying to, to lay the groundwork for the fact that real deliverance isn't just, you know, some kind of force be with you, you know, that falls and zaps you out of heaven, but rather it, it is about relationship. It's a relationship with God our Father. And Jesus came to restore us to a relationship with our Father that delivers us out of darkness and into light and brings us back to the Father who loves us, whom Jesus himself loves. And the Holy Spirit is the very love between them. And so we are to be caught up into this relationship, which itself is what really delivers us. It isn't it isn't uh, you know, just uh, you know, some external thing that, that deals with us personally and heals us personally, but what heals us is being put back into that relationship. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, lay the groundwork by looking at the Our Father, and then next week we'll look a little bit more at deliverance in and of itself as it relates to the Our Father, if that makes sense. So tonight, the basic four parts of the talk, I want to just keep up there, um, because, um, you know, every now and again when you get a lot of written notes, you lose the, the big picture, and that's the big picture. Tonight, regarding the Our Father, I want to look at the persons of the prayer, namely God, the Trinity, but particularly the Father, and us. Secondly, I want to look at some precautions regarding the prayer. Then some, the picture that the prayer paints. You know, it's not just a bunch of words to say, but it is, in fact, a structure or a, um, a description of one's overall prayer life. And then finally, I want to look at the peril. You know, the Lord ends the Lord's Prayer, you probably remember, with a bit of a warning. Say these words with caution. Because we do, in effect, enter into an agreement with God when we say those prayers, that we're going to forgive as we've been forgiven. So, with all that in mind, that's our overall outline for tonight. So let's get right into it. Before actually looking at the text of the Our Father, I want to give you a little bit of background. Now, if you brought your Bibles, you should open them to... Uh, to Matthew uh, uh, chapter 6, which is where the Our Father occurs. And you're all good Catholics, so you all brought two Bibles with you. And... Okay. <laughs> all right. Now, <clears throat> the, um, the Lord lays out in Matthew chapter 6, what we would call, the, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, where the Our Father appears right in the heart of it. He lays out what basically is the problem of hypocrisy. And I want to try to develop this idea of, of hypocrisy with you, um, and, um, and because I think most of us, when we hear the word hypocrite, have a very reduced notion of what that word meant biblically, and we'll look at that. But let, just notice the way the Lord begins in Matthew chapter 6. He says, now look, he says, be on your guard. Watch out. Pay attention. See, he's saying, watch out for this now. Be on your guard against performing religious acts in order that people may see them. Notice that. He's not saying don't perform religious acts. He's saying don't perform them in order that people may see them. All right? uh, otherwise, expect no recompense from your Heavenly Father. Now that phrase, I want you to, if you're the type who underlines in your Bible, underline it. If you're not, just mentally underline it. Your Heavenly Father. Very, very important antidote to hypocrisy. Your Heavenly Father. When you give alms, and then he goes on and he gives three examples of the problem of hypocrisy. Giving alms, all right? He then goes on to talk about fasting, and, or praying, and then fasting, all right? Now, I'm not going to deal too much with the giving alms and the, and the, um, the, uh, the question of fasting. We're going to focus mainly on, on the question of prayer. But 
he says, be on your guard against performing religious acts in order that others may see them. The first example he does give is almsgiving. So when you give alms, don't blow a trumpet. Now, the idea, <clears throat> some people have actually tried to say, maybe he meant there was something that was done. No, he's just using an example, he's just using hyperbole, saying, don't hire the band to play while you write the check. You know, don't call a lot of attention to it, is what he's getting at. Again, giving alms should not be that others see them. See? Now, what should the reason be? Well, again, I love God, and whatever God wants me to do, I want to do it. See? And if God wants me to be generous, I'm going to do it, and it's enough that he knows. I, nobody else needs to know about it. It's enough that God knows. But here's the question. Is it? Is it enough? Is it enough? And so Jesus goes on, uh, and, and, and again, he speaks, you know, again, he says to be careful about this, and he, he develops it in this way. Um, he talks about, he uses the word hypocrite, hypocrite. So let me read on with you here. Um, the, um, eh, let's see, I'm going to get to the, Thus, when you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do, in order that they may be seen and praised by men. Now, the hypocrites. So let's talk a little bit about what does the Lord mean by hypocrisy? Why is that important for us as we start to study the Our Father? And then also, what's the solution to hypocrisy? Okay. Hypocrite. Now, most of us, when we use the word hypocrite in English today, tend to mean someone who says one thing and does another. Someone who's inconsistent in their stated beliefs or their words and what they actually do. And if the charge sticks, it's pretty humiliating, right? You know, hypocrisy. Uh, now, again, there is that element in biblical hypocrisy, the understanding of hypocrisy. But the biblical notion and the way Jesus uses the word is much more rich and more poignant and in a way very sad, lamentable. It is um, it's part of the fallen human condition. What does Jesus mean by a hypocrite? Well, let me state it, and I'll do it twice because it has several parts. But fundamentally, the word, by the way, let's just remember, the word hypocritos in Greek means actor. So if you're going to go to the theater, let's go to the theater tonight and see the hypocrites. You know. <laughs> now, but we, we mean here just simply actors, right? They're a person who's playing a role. They're not really that person, Hamlet or, or whoever, but rather they're somebody playing that role. Now, when the, when the lights go down, they're not Hamlet. If they are, they're... They're psychopathic. Or they're, but, but you see, um, they're, they're, when the lights are on, and they're up on the stage, they're in the role, and they do well with it, hopefully, and people applaud, and they get money. And that's very fine for an actor to do, in, in role as an actor. But here's the danger, that we become like that in our life. So a hypocrite, if you really study all the biblical text, and I, I lay this out for you in the notes, so I'm not the type to read notes you know, like this to you, but you'll, you'll see this laid out in the notes. But fundamentally, here's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who has been reduced to being like an actor on a stage, desperately seeking applause and approval of men because they don't know the Father. So let me say that again. A hypocrite is a human person who has been reduced, reduced to the status of being like an actor on a stage, desperately seeking applause and approval from men because they don't know the Father. Right? Now that last part's important, isn't it? Because they don't know the Father. See, if I don't know the Father and His love for me and His care for me and even His rebuke and punishment of me when necessary, is a deep, deep love and a relationship, and I love the Father, and I know the Father, if that's not real in my life, I'm going to start to seek approval and applause from other people. How am I doing? How am I navigating? Do you all like me? Am I being approved of and applauded? And how's my, you know, again, we, we look for our navigation points for our dignity, not from our relationship with God who made us to know Him and love Him and serve Him, but from fallible, confused and fickle human beings. I'm talking about y'all. <laughs> I'm not that way, but some of y'all know. <clears throat> no. But again, this is, uh, you know, we know how this is. You know, it, it's, it's incredible how the, the radical swings we've had even in our lifetime about most of the basic things, right? And uh, so again, we, we see that um, you're, in a bad, you're in bad shape 
if you're looking to human beings, the Bible says, cursed is the one who trusts in human beings, right? Cursed, you see. Now, again, here again, just think of this image as, if you, think, as you think of hypocrisy and the problem of it. A sad, lonely person on a stage, and the lights are up, and they're just desperate to please the crowd so that they can get applause, approval, they can move up in the actor's ranks and get more money, more power, more access. Desperate, desperate for applause. Why? Because they don't know the Father. Now, do you see how sad and poignant hypocrisy really is? It isn't just, oh, you hypocrites! You say one thing, you do the other. Now, here's why people who are hypocrites tend to do that. Because the audience changes. Hello? They have no real relationship with God who does not change. And so as the audience changes, they need to change. And so a politician can run against gay marriage and then five years later before it. Well, the crowd changes. I've evolved. I've developed. You know, that kind of a thing. And again, there's no real root there, you see. It's what do the people want so that I can be approved and applauded. Now, again, I, I don't mean to just pick on politicians. We all do this. We struggle with this. This is part of the human condition, the problem of hypocrisy. It's a very desperate situation. So Jesus gives these examples. Okay, and here he talks about not the sins of politicians, but the sins of the pious. Giving alms, fasting, and praying. <laughs> now, you see, they lived in a very sacred culture, unlike us where you actually got approval for pious things like fasting and praying and stuff and giving alms, right? Now, our culture will approve giving alms, but the other two, oh, please, you know. But again, in that culture, you got a lot of credit. If so if people saw you giving alms, they'd say, ooh, you're approved. Look at you. Aren't you generous? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But why do you need that? Jesus says it, because you don't know the Father. See? Or again, when you pray, you know, they would pray in a very ostentatious way in Jesus' times, at least some of them. They'd wear these big black trees and, you know, things on their head, the, the box, you know, you still see that today, and they wrap their arms up and they wear these big prayer shows, those long tassels, and they move like this when they pray. You ever, you may have been to the synagogue, you've been to the Western, the, the Western Wall, uh, used to call it the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and you see that it's very visual, isn't it? Look at me, I'm praying. Now, that's, I'm not saying all of them have that mentality, but you see, Jesus says there's too many people who don't pray because they really love God or know the Father, but because they're looking to please men. Or again, they, uh, they fast or they dishevel their hair. They smudge their forehead with dirt. But the, the question isn't that, it's not what you're actually doing. It's the question is, why are you doing it? You see, are you doing it to be noticed and applauded by men? Or are you doing it because you love God? See, again, and why, why isn't, let me ask you a question again for you to ponder in your own heart. Why is it that people need the applause of men? And the answer is because they don't know God. Now, that's what Jesus says here. Because the solution is your heavenly Father sees you doing this. Your heavenly Father knows what you're doing. Why do you need the applause of men? Here's why. Because God's a stranger. I don't really know him. I've heard about him. He's in the pages of a book. I, I hear that he loves me. He's up there running the universe somehow, somewhere way up there past the other star. But I don't really know him. He's a stranger. I know y'all. I don't know if he'll really come through for me. I'm told he will, but it takes a lot of faith, and I'm not so sure how strong my faith is, and so let me go and take, you all will take care of me. I know that, so I'll, I'll please you, and you take a number. And you see, that's what happens to us. If we don't know the Father. And so when we talk about deliverance, and when we talk about the Our Father that we're about to study, the very first thing that we've got to do in coming to deliverance ourselves or bringing other people to deliverance is to put them in touch with God. People don't know God. They've heard about Him. They know about Him, but they don't know Him. It's desperate. Many people who sit in our pews, I would conject, con just possibly that some of you tonight, if, I were to really, if you were to really be honest, do you really know the Father? Or is he just someone you studied about? Have you experienced his love, his power in your life? Is he real? 
Or is he just some deity up there running stuff and you hope he's, you're going to end up on his good side? Otherwise, he might crush you like a bug. Now, again, I, I may be exaggerating, but you see what I'm saying? There, there is this great human struggle. Why? Well, first of all, we're very visual. We have five senses and we're very rooted in that. And you don't see God like you see a wall or you see me or I see you. We don't see God that way, but we're so used to seeing things and experiencing things that way so that when we're asked to experience something beyond what is seen or heard with the ear or the eyes, it's harder for us. And some people just get stuck there. See? There's a lot of reasons for it. Some people, their, their sins cloud their intellect, their heart. and Other people, is maybe they had a rough relationship with their own father growing up, and when they hear that God is their father, they're like, ooh, that's not good news. You know, there's any number of wounds that we bring to this summons to a relationship. And somewhere, we've got to let God go to work. And if we're going to be delivered, or we're going to bring anyone to deliverance, out of whatever it's bondage to sin, or, or bondage to satanic influences, or whether it's, 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 it's just oppression, or even possession, you cannot bring anyone to deliverance if you can't get them back in touch with God. It's not magic, it's about relationship. And so the Lord is asking us to ponder whether we're hypocrites or whether we really don't know the Father. And so he says, don't be like the hypocrites who, gives alms, who give alms in order that others may see them. Don't be like the hypocrites who fast and dishevel their hair and smudge their face so that people will know they're fasting in order that people may see them. He's not saying don't fast. He's not saying don't give on, but he's saying don't do it because you're desperate for applause. And don't pray so that others will see you praying. That doesn't mean never pray publicly. It just means what's going on in your heart and in your mind? What's at the heart of your motivation as you pray? Don't fall into the horrible human tragedy of hypocrisy where you are desperately up on a stage all by yourself with the Klieg lights on and you can barely see the crowd, but you're just desperate for any sign of approval and applause. And too many people live their life like that today, starting with the clergy who don't preach the truth because they're worried about you liking them. You know, where, where do silent pulpits come from? It's the problem of hypocrisy. Well, let's not just blame the clergy. Where do silent dinner tables come from? Oh, no, we're not going to talk about the fact that Johnny and Mary are living together outside of marriage. That might cause upset. Well, they're causing it, see? But I somehow, see, you see the idea. Where do silent dinner tables come from? Where do silent parents? Desperation to be liked. Because why? We don't know the Father. He's a stranger, but you're in front of me, and I've got to please you first, and I'll get to him later. Now, you see the idea? And we can tell ourselves lots of little lies. Oh, God wants me to please people. He wants me to have everybody like me. You know, we tell ourselves little lies like that. What God wants is our heart above all things and above all people, and he wants us to know how much he loves us, whether they crucify us or applaud us. That's not the point. The point is that I know God, the Father, and he knows me. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. See? Now, that's really what he's, that's the background to the Our Father. So, the Lord gives a couple of extra warnings that we're going to look at. But this first thing, notice the persons of the prayer. The persons of the prayer are you and the Father. By extension, of course, the Son and the Spirit. I'm thinking now of the Father certainly as the, you know, the principium deitatis, right? The, the whole principle of the deity. But again, I say, say to you, what is most precious to Jesus Christ is that you love his Father like he loves his Father. Jesus was crazy about the Father. <laughs> he was always talking about his Father. His, my Father this, my Father, my, my Father. Always talking about the Father. So it's not like, well, if I talk to Jesus or if I talk to the Father, maybe Jesus will be upset. No, he's happy. He's like, thank God. He's trying to lead us to the Father. Amen? He's, he wants, he's trying to bring us back to this beautiful, precious relationship. We don't have time to develop it tonight, but perhaps the most beautiful parable is all of Luke, actually it's three parables, all of Luke 15 where the Lord says, you know, God God's crazy to love you, but he does. He's like a guy that has 100 sheep and one of them wanders off and he goes after it. That's crazy. Nobody would do that. God would. My father does. 
He cares that much about you that he'd leave 99 to go search for you. He's like a, uh, you, you, it's like a woman who searches diligently for a coin she lost. And she finds it and she has a party and it costs three times as much as the value of the coin. That's crazy. Yeah, God's crazy to love you and he does anyway. And then, of course, the beautiful parable of the prodigal son. Two lost sons, really, right? See? And just a father who just loves his sons. They're both very different. And he loves them both and pleads with them. Pleads with them to come back to him. See? Jesus says, this is what my father is like. And I want you to love him and to know how much he loves you. Okay? And it's not some syrupy, doting love. It's a strong, vigorous, manly love, a father-like love that will discipline us when we get out of line, not because he hates us, but because he loves us and doesn't want us to be lost. Okay? So, a little bit of this background is important. We took some time with it, but I want to just say that the problem of hypocrisy is what's behind this moment of the Our Father. The Lord spends a long time in Mark's, Matthew 6 developing the problem of hypocrisy. And once again, just by way of definition, the problem of hypocrisy is simply this. It is the sad reduction of a human person to the desperate condition of a person on a stage. Desperate for applause and approval from the crowd. Because they do not know the Father. And now the Lord wants to say to us, listen, be careful about how you pray. You're not praying in order to be seen by people. You're praying because God the Father has called you to prayer. He, my Father loves you, and He's called you by name. And you somehow heard that call, and you go before Him and you raise your hands and you say, Abba, Papa, Daddy God. Father, see. And then we'll look at the words as they unfold from there. But you see, the Lord says that is what is the real source of your deliverance. That you begin to know and experience the incredible, powerful love that God has for you for no good or explainable reason. Just because He's love. We give God a migraine a headache. We're hard to love. But He loves us. And He's calling. And so that's the background, if you will. Why do I say, that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about the persons of the prayer. Okay? This is not a set of words to say. This is not a ritual that's being introduced. This is a relationship, first and foremost. And the Lord is saying, realize, realize. And the very opening word we'll see in the Our Father is about relationship, Our Father. See, we're going to see that. Now, all right, one other, uh, maybe... Um, other precaution, we'll just briefly look at this next number two, and I want to get right to number three here in a moment. The Lord does give another precaution in prayer that also relates to the problem of hypocrisy and of God the Father being a stranger. So he says, also he says, don't just pray not to be, you know, so that people will see you, but he also says, when you, um, when you pray, verse six, I'd be in Matthew six and verse uh, six here, I believe, huh? when you pray, go to your inner room and close the door. And pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. All right? But then he goes on to say, But in praying, also, do not babble uh, like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Okay, I got my rosary in my pocket here. Not talking about the rosary. But do not be like this, or be not, do not be like people who are, who, who are like this. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here's another problem in prayer that's related to the problem of hypocrisy. Now, by the way, the, the, the Greek word here is a, a kind of onomatopoeia almost. Batalogiste, uh, um, you know, means to babble, you know, bada, 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 it's sort of an onomatopoeia, right? It's, it's bada, 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 bada. Bados means to stammer or to stutter in Greek, and, and logos means words. So stuttering, stuttering, you know, you know, kind of words. And isn't it interesting, by the way, <laughs> that some of the Protestants who criticize us for repetitious prayer are the very ones who prize speaking in tongues, <laughs> which is a little bit like this. I'm not saying it is. It's a different word. It's glossolalia, and there's a beauty to speaking in tongues. I'm not here to denigrate it. But what the Lord is trying to say here is it's not 
that you multiply words so much because a lot of the Psalms and a lot of the prayers of Israel have repetitions built into them. That's, that's one of the ways that people who don't read and write remember prayers because, you know, for, for the, you know, that one of the Psalms, you know, just keeps going back over and over again. Kings in their splendor he slew for his love endures forever. Og, the king of Bashan, for his love endures forever. You know, just his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. Ah, 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 ah. You're repeating. That's not what this text is saying. It's saying babbling. In other words, thinking that the sheer repetition of words or like open sesame or, or magic formulas like in the name of Jesus, you know, is going to just create magic results rather than relationship, right? Hmm? So even our brother Protestants who like to criticize us have a lot of, they got a lot of naming and claiming and calling and hauling, you know, going on too. That, that goes on in all of our traditions. But the Lord isn't forbidding us to have memorable phrases. He's not forbidding us to have repetition. But what he is saying is, listen to this now, because you've got to go deeper with these texts. The Lord is saying, do you, do you understand your Father knows what you need? You don't need to nervously go with a rehearsed speech. Now, if you're going to give a speech to a group, and you're not comfortable with public speaking, I'm not, in, I'm not comfortable with public speaking, so get a, somebody get a sock, put a sock in that guy, all right. No, but... Um, but if you're going to give a talk to somebody that you're either fearful of or you don't really know, maybe you're going into a job interview, you're going to have a lot of rehearsed things, talking points. You're going to have it all, right? Is that, is that, that's how you, but if, if you're going to talk to a close friend or to a father who loves you, do you need to go with a rehearsed speech? No, let me just talk naturally. See, and again, so what the Lord is saying, do you understand? Your heavenly father knows what you need. What is the solution to hypocrisy? Know the Father. Your Father sees you giving alms. Your Father sees you fasting. Your Father knows what you need. Your Heavenly Father. You don't need to go there and say, oh, I've got to get all the prayers right, and I've got to say it just right, and I've got to say it five times. Or, you know. And again, we do have some of that in Catholicism. You know, you'll see those novena prayers in the pews, say it nine times, and out pops your answer. Really? Is God playing games with you? No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a novena. But it's, it's meant to be done in love. I love you, Father, and I want to have a structure for my prayer. And, but I, I'm not thinking that that alone is what's going to pop out the thing. You know, no, you're not, a, you're not some kind of a machine. You're my Father. You love me. And I just need to ask you once. I'm going to keep asking you because you told me to. But... I know you love me. I don't need to rehearse speeches. I don't need to have all kinds of magic words and buttons and push them all in the right combination because you're my father and you love me. See? You see the vision? Okay, now, you see how, again, it's, it's that subset of the problem of hypocrisy. The sad reduction of a human person to a person on a stage all alone, desperate for applause because they don't know the father. And even when they do try to go and pray, they pray to God as if he were some kind of a stranger thinking I've got to say this combination or Babylon or you know, pray precisely this time and pray precisely these words or my, my answer won't come. Really? Really? Would you ever say that? If you're a loving father or a mother, would you require that of your children? You know, hopefully not. Say, tell me, what, what's the problem? Just tell me in your own words. See? And so that's what the Lord's getting at here. Again, it gets back... Oh, I guess I lost my... Um, it gets back to that... The persons of the prayer, all right? And that additional problem in prayer, namely this, that we have a, um, a situation where um, we see that there is um, uh, a very, very sad loss of relationship with the Father. So then, now the Lord has stated the problem for us. The problem of hypocrisy. The problem of God the Father really being a stranger, treated like he's some deity up there rather than a Father who loves us, all right? Now, with all that in mind, then what is the solution? Jesus says, when you pray, say. And then he gives us a, not just words to say, but a structure. He's kind of painting a picture for us in this about what does a relationship with the Father look like? What is, what is our spiritual life? What are the basic elements of our prayer and spiritual life meant to be? So there, I would argue with you that the, our Father is not just a set of words to say, because if the words were that important, then Luke would have had identical words, right? And you know the Lucan version of this has, it's basically the same, but it has some differences, doesn't it? So if the words themselves were exactly what we have to say, 
then Luke certainly in the Holy Spirit would have made sure that Luke had exactly the same thing, word for word. But he doesn't. <laughs> because what the Lord is trying to get at here is not so much say these exact words, precious though they are, but rather the Lord's painting a picture that your spiritual life in general should have about, and I'm, I broke it into five different elements, others could break it into four or break it into seven, but I think that these basic five elements are a pretty good structure for your prayer life and for your relationship with God, all right? And they are, the five elements of the Our Father are there, they're also in your notes, but that uh, we are to, in terms of our prayer, we are to relate to God the Father. We are to rejoice with God the Father. We are to receive from our Father. We are to request from our Father. And we are to repent of anything that separates us from our beautiful, loving Father. Okay? So those would be the five keys that I think the Lord is asking us to say. Now, in effect, when I say he's painting a picture, he's saying, when you pray, what should be going on in your mind and your heart as a person of prayer who's relating not to the deity, but to a Father who loves you and whom you are trying and striving to love, okay? With that in mind, in your notes, you'll see that I, I relate each, or I put all these texts to some aspect of the text of the Our Father in order, okay? All right, so let's see that uh, when the Lord gives us then this beautiful prayer, this is how you are to pray. Not just, he doesn't notice, he doesn't say, this is the words you're supposed to say when you pray, precious though they are. He says, this is how you are to pray. This is what it means to be in a prayerful relationship with God. This is what it means, all right? First of all, relate. Our Father who art in heaven. Now, notice there, first of all, there, it is in the plural because you are not, it's not just you and God. You are part of a, a people. And Jesus never wants us to forget that we're part of a body. This me and Jesus thing has got to go. It is you and Jesus, but guess what? Hello, look around. He's got a few other brothers and sisters for you to meet too. Amen? You know, what if I were to come to you and say, I like you, I just can't stand your awful family, away with them all. <laughs> well, you don't really love me then, see? So, again, our Father, right? So, let's be careful here to remember that it's not just, it's okay to occasionally say, my Father, I got that, in your private prayer, but never forget, never forget that you're part of a family that God loves, okay? Now, but notice, relate. Relate to the Father. You are speaking to your Father, now here too, there's going to be some folks who have struggled with their earthly father. Sadly today, especially in our culture, when fatherhood is in crisis, right? Been in crisis for a long time. Absent fathers, uh, passive fathers, hmm? um, abusive fathers. We've had a lot of issues in our culture. And I'm not saying it was ever perfect, but it's gotten really, really bad. In fact, right now, a child who's born today, less than half of them will have a traditional family to live in, less than half. And that almost always means Where's daddy? Oh, he's got a new girlfriend and he's moved to the next town over or something like that. So, and again, I'm not saying it's all the man's fault. I'm just saying this is where we are today. And many people struggle to relate to their father. Um, I have great admiration for my father, Charles Pope Sr. He died about eight years ago, but he wasn't a perfect father. He wasn't a perfect man, um, but my father was a good man. But uh, he and I struggled and I went through a period of real rebellion with him. And at some point in my life, for you to come up and tell me God is a father who loves you, I said, well, that's just, just exactly a perfect reason not to love him back. You know, because I was in my rebellious stage and so on. But again, so we all have an experience of fatherhood. But I want you to try your best and set aside whatever imperfections you experience from earthly father, your earthly father or other father-like people in your life. Maybe it was a priest or someone. Set that aside for a moment and say, God is a perfect father. Hmm? A father who loves me. And you are going not to pray to the deity, but you're going to pray to the Father who loves you. And guess what? He even likes you. <laughs> Isn't that crazy in our culture how we've had to, like has actually become a more meaningful word than love? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But it is. I mean, God doesn't just love you. He even likes you. <laughs> he has an affection for you. He cares about you. Okay? He's not just willing you're good. But he really loves you. He cares about you. You know, again, let me just quickly go through a couple Bible verses, but God said to Jeremiah, but he also said it to you, before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you. I in other words, I loved you, I thought about you, I prepared for you. 
I, I set everything in place perfectly just for you to be made, just as you are. I didn't just get your parents to meet. I got your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents all in the right combinations just to make you. And I thought about you the whole time, and I love you. And Psalm 139 says, Lord, I thank you for the wonder of my being. I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That beautiful, delicate knit, knitting of God that we wrench out through abortion and sell for body parts. Beautiful knitting that God is doing there in the womb and carefully, skillfully making us. And every one of my days, Lord, was written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Just thank you, thank you, thank you for the wondrous love that you have for me. For no good reason. You knew every sin I'd ever commit and you still made me. Thank you, Lord. See? So again, all of these are ways of saying, step one when you pray is relate to the Father. You're going to pray to your Father who loves you. Now, by the way, this is developed beautifully by St. Paul, and Jesus also used the word. He doesn't use it here in the Our Father, interestingly enough, but I think it's the sense in which he means it. But the word Abba, Abba, what is this? St. Paul uses You have it there in your notes, Romans 8 and Galatians 4. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Abba. Now, what is Abba? Well, first of all, let's be clear. Abba is not baby talk. All right? It's not nada. It's not like that. It's the word, but it is the family word that even an adult would use for their father. So, for example, when my father was still alive, I didn't pick up the phone and say, Hello, Father. How are you, Father, father Pope, today? How, I mean, how are you, Father? I said, Dad. We, we used to, our affectionate term for my father was El Dado, you know? He signed all of his letters, you know, El Dado, right? And, uh, and so we had this beautiful kind of, this kind of word that was, it was meaningful to us. He was the one who took care of us. He was dad. He was, we didn't call him father. We called him dad. You might have another word, maybe papa or, you know, pops or, you know, all the different. But these are, they are affectionate family terms. And adults use them, not just little children, right? So you see the idea. So this is what Abba is. It is say, basically saying that we make bold to call God Abba. Why? Only because the Holy Spirit's in us and we've been incorporated into Christ. And Christ can say, Dad, to his heavenly Father, to the creator of all the universe. And the Lord has given us access to the heart of the Father. And the Father is delighted for us to call him Abba. Hmm? Abba. Hmm? And so there is this beautiful, beautiful, um, if you will, understanding of, uh, of, of how and why the, uh, the Lord would, uh, would in every way want us to call him Abba. So it's that beautiful family term. Do you understand? Do you experience God the Father that way? See, Because the more that becomes a deeper reality for your life, your deliverance is underway. Okay? I'm not saying your life will be trouble-free, but you'll always know where to run. I'll tell you a little story. Growing up, my daddy went to Vietnam in 1968, and I was maybe seven or eight years of age. And I was, my, my parents meant well, God love them, but they called me the man of the house. <laughs> and I mean, I was having little, even at seven and eight years of age, I was having panic attacks, sleepless nights. I was concerned. I kept thinking my father was going to die in the war and uh, I'd have to raise the family for myself. I'd have to go out and find a job. <laughs> you know how seven and eight-year-olds think. But I was just scared. All the, I was having terrible dreams. And then Daddy came home, and the dreams stopped. And it was okay. I felt good again. Daddy was home. Daddy was home. See. And so there was that consolation of his presence. So again, if God is a stranger to you, and you're kind of down here on your own, being the man of the family, that means that how much I have left? Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. Good. I, okay, thank you. Yeah, that's fine. I just couldn't. So um, we, we see that there is this magnificent healing and deliverance from fears and anxieties and so on because as we grow in our love for the father we start to trust him and we know that he's caring for us and we, we there are times where it's like what's going on up there i keep praying and you're not doing anything but still there is just this as it deepens and grows deliverance from fears and from anxieties and from sinful habits and things begin to become the fruit of this beautiful beautiful relationship so I simply say to you that the very opening word Jesus is saying, would you please remember to relate to your father, Abba, who loves you. Okay? The second thing he says is rejoice. 
Father in heaven, your name is holy. Oh, thank you. I praise you. I, I glorify you. Uh, uh, you're the biggest God on the block. You can, you can beat any other God with both your hands tied behind your back. You are, you are my God. You are powerful. Take the psalms of praise and just take those beautiful psalms of ascent or the psalms of praise and just praise them or take the glory of the mass. You know, we praise you. We glorify you. We, we, ma we magnify you. One of my favorite lines that comes out of better in the Latin is, uh, you know, it sim simply says, um, Gracias agimus tibi propter manium glorium tuum. We give you thanks just because you're so great. Thank you for being a great, a holy God, a magnificent God. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. Thank you for the wonder of my being that I'm wonderfully, fearfully made. Thank you for the people I love. I praise you. I glorify you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. Now, when you start to praise God like that, I want you to know something. You're in the groove. Now, I'm showing my age because that's of a record. You remember the old records? Yeah. Got the... But the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we were made for the praise of his glory. You were made to praise him. And so when you're praising him, you're in the groove. It's resonating. That's you're doing what you were made to do. All creatures praise God somehow, but the human person can praise God rationally. We give him rational worship, which doesn't mean, you know, quoting to mystic phrases necessarily, but it means I have a mind and an intellect that can be directed to God as the author and the source of all being, and I can glorify him like no animal. We praise Him, we glorify Him. So I say to you, is praise part of your prayer? Hallowed be your name. Or is it like, oh, oh. I think sometimes we must give God a migraine headache. Oh. You know, every day 10 trillion things go right and about a half a dozen things go wrong, right? I mean, come on, I'm not kidding. When I say 10 trillion, do you, do you really think I'm exaggerating? I'm not. Every fiber of your being, every molecule of your body, every atom of every molecule, every part of every atom of every molecule of your body is up and running and doing what it needs to do, and God's taking care of all that. And that's just inner space. You go outside, yeah, photosynthesis, sunlight. It's a little hot today, but by gosh, it's good as not sub-zero, right? And um, listen, beyond that, you go out, there's an asteroid belt that holds those things in checks out there, and they don't keep raining down on us. You've got Jupiter and Saturn out there catching comets. It's all being done, see? <laughs> Did you know that our Earth has a, an, almost, an almost perfect circle? It's slightly elliptical, but only slightly. Unlike a lot of other planets, they have a very steep ellipse, so they go way far from the sun and come much closer, and it radically changes the temperature of the planet. We would not be alive if our orbit wasn't just where it was and just the size and the shape that it was. Listen, God's taking care of all this stuff. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that 10 trillion things go right every day, and maybe six or seven things go wrong. Oh... <laughs> Some of you have heard me tell you this before, but the movie The Color Purple, watch with caution. <laughs> but there's a beautiful line in there that, um, at the, the, where the movie gets its title. Suge and Celia are walking through a field and the lilacs are in bloom. And Suge, who's had a hard life, <laughs> says to Celia, who's had, let's just say, a colorful life. <laughs> she says, Suge says, I was angry with God. Celia says, you was angry with God. Well, I think God gets angry with us when we walk through a field and misses the color purple. All the lilacs are in bloom. We walk right past the color purple. Don't even thank God for it. And we're like, oh. Gosh, they missed it again. See, so the idea is you have a lot to praise God for. Amen? Amen. Even in a crazy world like this, it's like a lunatic asylum right now. But listen, I thank you that at least I noticed that it is a lunatic asylum. I haven't gone out of my head yet. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for a few fellow souls. God still has his 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal. You're not alone, amen? amen. <laughs> That's my blog post tonight, by the way. I still, God said, I have 7,000 who never bent the knee to Baal. All right. So we want to relate to God. We want to rejoice. Now, the second thing we, or the third thing we want to do is we want to receive. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in your prayer... Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, this is a time for you to study some scripture, to do Lectio Divina, or to read the Catechism, or do good spiritual reading. Speak, Lord. I, I, I need to receive from you now. See? I'm, I'm ignorant, I'm stupid, I'm foolish, I'm dumb, I don't know anything, but you know all things. Now, teach me what I need to know today. See? Make me a good listener. But listen in prayer. Don't just talk. But listen. Listen in prayer. And how do we listen? Well, we do sometimes just sit still. 
And some of us have maybe moved on a little bit toward more contemplative prayer. Praise God, what a gift. But others of us need to listen more actively by reading Scripture. It's a form of listening, right? Even though you're reading, you're, you're really listening. And so you see the vision. Are you one who receives from God in prayer? You see, a relationship is two-way. You're not just talking to God, but you're listening. And you need to do more listening, of course, than talking, really, at the end of the day. Amen? So, again, I, I, I don't have time to develop all these, but you see there is here a magnificent, if you will, chance for us to spend a little time every day in spiritual reading, in study, or even like what you're doing tonight, right? I don't want you to think that all these things need to be done in a compact period of 15 minutes when you go to pray one day. This can be something that's extended out throughout the day or throughout the week in different ways at different times. But the Lord is trying to paint a picture. What does it mean to be in relationship with the Father who loves you? Well, you're relating to Him as your Father. You're saying, Abba, thank you for being my Father. I love you. Help me to know of your love for me. See, you're, you're rejoicing. Your name is holy. I thank you for all you've done. I praise you. You're wonderful. You're glorious. We're receiving from Him, you see, a word. We're receiving from Him the Eucharist. We're receiving from Him graces. We're open. Our hands are open. Likewise, we're requesting, give us this day our daily bread. Hmm? Now, uh, th this, of course, is I, I gave you an article online, and I don't have time to develop it in a short talk like this, but there's a word here that nobody knows what it means. Isn't that embarrassing? It's right there in the middle of the Our Father, and all the Greek scholars in the world and all the Scripture scholars and even the fathers of the church, nobody knew what it meant. It's the, the hidden, mysterious word of the Our Father, right? right? Epiousion is the, is the Greek word, epiousion. Hmm? Literally, if you want to just parse the word, it would mean like super substantial bread, right? But uh, none of the Greek fathers, and Greek was their first language. It was their mother tongue. They, what is epiousion? That's super substantial, I don't know. None of them could agree. They all had different opinions. And in the article I put online, I, I list some of the different opinions of the church fathers, all right? I'm of the mind. Not that I'm, I am a pope and not the pope. <laughs> but that really it's a reference to the Eucharist. The reason it's called super substantial is that it's pointing to the Eucharist, which is always going to be super substantial for us, right? It's, it, it's like our cup is overflowing, as the psalm says, regarding the precious blood. So I think it's a reference to the Eucharist. However, most Greek scholars, most linguists would say, well, this would probably be the way they would speak of having an abundance of bread each day, what we need basically for each day. So uh, again, we see that uh, St. Jerome translated it, um, you, know, uh, he's, you know, originally, you know, he translated it, uh, quote, you know, the, um, uh, as, you know, super substantial, uh, but it came into the liturgy as quotidianum, right? Daily bread, daily bread. So don't worry too much about that, but the main thing I just want you to know is a fascinating little study, so that's why I put it as an ancillary study for you. But let's not get tripped up on this. The bottom line is this. You need to intercede and ask. Ye have not because ye ask not. James 4, verse 2, right? Ye have not because ye ask not. Help! <laughs> right? Some of my prayers are just that brief. <laughs> Help! I love the way the office begins every day, you know. Deus in agitori, meum intendi domini adjuanda me festina. You know, God come to my assistance and hurry up about it. <laughs> I mean, that's a loose translation, but, but God come to my assistance, Lord make haste to help me. Very formal, Lord make haste to help me. But domini adjuanda me festina means basically, Lord, hurry up about it, right? You know, come to my help and speed it up. You know, hurry, hurry, festina. All right, now, but help, help, and you have needs. And you have family members who have needs. And we live in a world that's filled with needs. we got to say, oh, just let the Holy Spirit anoint you. You know, Father, I, I'm just praying for my own need, my health. I'm, I'm praying because, Lord, I'm feeling a little, I'm struggling lately, whatever. Lord, help me, help me. Lord, I'm praying for my spouse. She's going through a hard time. And a couple of our kids need lots of help, Lord. Lord, help. And I'm thinking, Lord, of our country and where we're going. And, oh, Lord, mercy, Lord, mercy. Help us, Lord. Save us. Have mercy on us and keep us in your love. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us. Keep us. But pray. Let the Holy Spirit anoint you. This is a good time to pray the newspaper. It's a good time to pray the news if you have to watch it. There was a, a religious sister that used to come to our house, uh, Sister Patsy, and she was a friend of my mother and years ago. And when I was a teenager, she'd come and the news would be on. Sister Patsy would sit there. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, Lordy, Lordy. I'm like, I'm like, this woman's crazy. But I mean, she was actually doing the right thing, you know? I mean, 
political corruption, sex scandal, um, a house just burned down and six kids died. You know, mercy, Lord, mercy. She's crying out for mercy. You know, but what do we do when we watch the news? Oh, man, it's just awful today. Some people's children, I just tell you, I just tell you, it's just crazy. This, all, this whole world just gone crazy. And well, we become the cynic. And what we should be saying is, like Sister Patsy, mercy, Lord, mercy. Lord, have mercy. See, help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us by thy grace. But we just, we just get grouchy, see? So this is a chance when you hear the news, and you, you have to listen to it. Pray, 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 storm heaven, right? Okay, so relate, rejoice, receive, request. And then we come to the last one that we're going to spend a little less time on tonight because I'm going to develop it with you more next time. But we repent, first of all, of our own sins. Um, we repent. Lord, I, I've, I've sinned. and We're not repenting just because, oh, shucks, I'm no good. And, you know, but we, we, remember, we're before a Father who loves us. And we're saying, Abba, I've done things that have clouded my eyes so that I can't see your beautiful face. It's my sins that separate me from you. And I love you. And I'm asking for your mercy to clear up these sins and keep me faithful to regular confession. But in the meantime, Lord, I, I love you and I praise you. And I realize that my, my life doesn't reflect your glory. But I love you. And I know my sins harm the relationship. Not because of you, but because of me. It hardens my heart. It makes it harder for me to love you. It, 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 it blinds me so I can't see you. And I love you. See, So we're repenting of our sins, you see. We're asking the Lord to forgive us our debts, our debts, all right? Um, by the way, I, I believe I uh, also have a little side article, if I don't have it up there now, on this idea of the word, is it debts, is it trespasses, is it sins? What are we talking about here? And again, debts, so some people want to take the Our Father and turn it into forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's all right, but the problem is we don't want sin to become an abstraction. The word is, in Greek, really debt. We have a debt, my brothers and sisters, that we cannot pay. So Jesus paid it. Are you praying with me? It cost him a lot, too, see? We have a debt. And most of us understand debt. Sin can become very abstract to some of us, I'm sorry to say. I've sinned, whatever that means. <laughs> I have a debt I can't pay. Oh, I know what that means. And so I would say debts... You know, it was turned into trespasses um, because people began to think, well, it's not about finances. All right, it's not about finances. But frankly, most of us know most about money. I'm just going to say it plain. And I think that's why the Greek text actually does speak pretty clearly to the word debt. debt. And there may be reasons to change it in order to teach, but I think that really at the end of the day, um, to simply change it into sin might be a little too abstract. I think trespasses make, makes me think I, I'm on somebody's land, you know. <laughs> Or, but basically it means I've strayed from God's plan. I'm off the, I'm off the reservation. I've, I've gone into the other kingdom, you see. But at the end of the day, I think what you probably ought to remember, and I'll put this article up, I'll give it to, uh, to the staff here to put online if I haven't already. The idea is that <clears throat> um, there is this, um, I have a couple of those notes in there for you, but fundamentally we don't want to reduce sin to an abstraction, and debt really is what it's about. We have a debt we cannot pay. Only the blood and the mercy of Jesus Christ can ever mean that we'll stand a chance. Without grace and mercy, you're going right to hell. Okay? So we go and we say, Father, I know you love me, and I'm calling on the blood of Jesus once again. Thank you for sending your son. And I've sinned, and I have a debt I can't pay. But thank you for your love that you sent your son Jesus, and in his name I ask your mercy. So it's about relationship, you see, all right? And then we come then to, as I say, the, sec the, 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 the part that we're going to develop more. But, uh, and it says, finally, it says, uh, subject us not to the test, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, now we'll talk about this more next week. But let's at least, because I, I know this always comes up. I do a question and answer column for the Catholic Sunday Visitor and for the um, couple of other papers and so on, magazines. How can God lead us into temptation and so on? And again, Oh, there's so much to say about it, but no, God does not, Scripture itself said, God does not, God himself is not the source of our temptation. Now, in next week's notes, I'm going to give you those Scripture references, all right? But never can we say that God is the source of temptation, all right? 
the idea that God would lead us would mean basically that he would not allow us to go too far without pulling us back. <laughs> All right, we're asking for him to set some limits on the test and the tribulations that we will experience in life that might cause us to sin. So we're asking him to, if you will, limit the incursions of the evil one and of the world, the flesh, and the devil, which are the threefold sources of our temptation, to, if you will, limit them and not allow them to go out of control and not allow us to overly indulge them. So, and the reason the word lead is used here is by, because there's a, a philosophical concept that we're not very comfortable with in the modern world, but it's very true and it's very biblical and it's mentioned in the catechism. It's called primary causality. God is existence itself. Therefore, everything that happens or exists has God for its first cause. Okay? God does not intend for there to be evil, but God, if you will, permits and foresees that there is evil in some of what he's created, not because of him, but because of our misuse of our freedom. But an example of primary causality. So there's a bowling ball, and it goes down, and it knocks over all the pins. So what's the primary cause of the pins being knocked over? Not the bowling ball. That's the secondary cause. The bowler. Right? The bowler sets the ball into motion. And he's the primary cause of everything that happens thereafter. The bowling ball, of course, eventually knocks the pins down, but it's a secondary cause, all right? We're not very comfortable, but Scripture was very comfortable in saying God was the cause of everything. But when we hear the word cause in the modern language, we think God intends or God is doing this thing directly. And that's not what Scripture means, okay? I don't have time to develop it tonight, but let me just say that again. God is not the source of your temptation. He is not leading you to sin. God does not cause you to sin. It is the world, the flesh, and the devil that are the sources of your temptation, and it is your own freaking will <laughs> and my, that is the cause of sin. It's our sinful, obtuse, hard hearts that are the cause of sin. And we're simply saying, Lord, please limit the damage that I can do by my terrible choices and limit the incursions of the evil one into my life. And so it ends with what we'll, do, we'll pick up with next week, which is deliver, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us, set us free from the terrible, horrible influences of the evil one. Keep us protected by your grace, okay? For reasons of his own, and mysteriously, God has allowed the devil to fall to the earth and roam the earth and patrol it for now. He will eventually be sealed into hell, but not yet. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week, the, the role of the devil and all of the types and the ways that we can be delivered out of the devil's power and into the, into the Father's power. So just to finally summarize, because my time is up, I want to say that deliverance begins with relationship. Relationship. And the Lord says, please, don't be like a hypocrite, like an actor desperate on the stage for applause because they don't know the Father. That is not the life I'm dying to give you. I'm dying to give you a life where you have a vivid, powerful, growing relationship with the Father that I know and love. And because of that, you will indeed be set free of so many sins that come to you because you are not going to be desperate for the approval of this world, for the food of this world, or for the applause of people in this world. You will simply know and love the Father, and that will be enough for you. And therefore, I want you to learn how to pray to the Father in a way that you'll relate to Him beautifully as Abba, that you'll rejoice in His glory and His mercy, that you will receive from Him a word and instruction and grace and, and the Eucharist and so on, that you will request and hear the answers to your prayer and that you will repent of anything that separates you from your relationship with the Father and experience how He's delivering you from the evil one. If you will be in this relationship, that is what will deliver you in the end. And we'll develop that more next week. Thank you. Does epiousion include the notion of bread? Well, um, the, the, the word alone, epiousion, doesn't uh, include the word bread, but the, 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 the word epiousion means supersubstantial, and then the word bread comes after it. So, yeah, give us a stay our supersubstantial bread. Hmm? I think there's two ways to look at that kind of an outline. Every now and again, somebody, I, I do a lot of spiritual direction. When somebody's just getting started in prayer, they like a structure for prayer. So I say, well, look, if you're going to spend maybe 15, 20 minutes a day trying to pray, you know, spend a few minutes on each of those and just follow that as an outline. That's one way. If you want to pray that way, you want to have a, a structure for your actual prayer time, you could do that. Father, we should follow all the A, B, C, D, E. Uh, 
How about usually in literary, we usually uh, do the repent first and relate, rejoice, receive request later. That's what However, it's also, uh, as you're suggesting, something that could be done at different times of the day. Um, if you're living a liturgical life, all those things are built in certainly as well. But for example, um, you know, you might uh, do the repent when you go to bed at night, or like you say, maybe first thing up in the morning, or uh, you might, you might uh, do a few of those more for your private and personal prayer. Uh, like I said, maybe when you're watching the news or, or, or hearing, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, what have you, um, you could, uh, you know, pray, you know, do the, you know, the, the part of, re 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 you know, requesting for, for God's people. But again, so I would say that it could be used at both, just an outline for maybe if you were going to pray 20 minutes or so, you'd pray about four minutes of, on each of those. Uh, or again, if you were going to just break it up and just make sure that, does your prayer life have some resemblance to this kind of thing? Because the Lord is trying to paint a picture for us of, the, of, the, of a prayer life and, and what a spiritual life and a relationship with the Father would look like, the basic elements. And how you mix them up in all is, is you know, up to you. Um, this is an interesting question. I guess I'll ask it. Um, you were talking about people paying more attention, you know, to those around us as opposed to God, the relationship with God, when you were talking about hypocrisy. And as I thought about that, I thought the great temptation of pastors or people in the church, a lot of people, they, to run the wonderful programs we have, money is usually needed. And so, and then their whole tax thing coming up. And so I just wondered whether you wanted to comment on that in terms of a yeah, temptation. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Well, again, I, I think it's a danger. Uh, we do. Yeah, you're right. We do need money. It's not the it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Right. So on the other hand, uh, I would say that the first thing we would want to say is, well, the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. Now, why? Well, because if he had to start worrying about affording, keeping buildings up and doing all that, he wouldn't have preached the unabridged gospel. He might have been now, I'm, I, don't mean, I, don't, I don't mean he would ever have been that Jesus himself, but the point is that we do very easily get corrupted by money, our, our, our need for it, and so on. So I would say that, um, you know, we have to finally learn to trust God, that if it means the money's going to go away, and I gotta, but I've got I to preach the gospel, in season or out of season. And I, I, getting back to that SCOTUS decision, I, I preached against it, and I had people walk out of Mass on me, you know? I mean, uh, you know, and I mean, it just, I didn't have a lot, but I mean, I did have people and they were very visual about it. And uh, they just walked out and they didn't see me shaking the dust. <laughs> now, I wasn't being gleeful about that, but I mean, I mean I'm sad that they're going to deprive themselves of the Eucharist and walk away from the Lord over something as awful as, as uh, you know, what, what, what you know, the, the decision was about. But that said... I cannot, if I'm going to worry about the bottom line of my parish, um, and I'm not saying you're suggesting I should, but it, it, it's, it's a trouble. It's not like, hey, be completely disregarding of money. But on the other hand, um, I think we have to finally trust God that, and look, look around tonight. I mean, orthodoxy does still sell. Um, pardon me for putting it that way. But I mean, you're here and you're supportive. And some of our organizations may need to get smaller and some of the folks are going to go away. And we will close and we already are closing some of our schools and institutions. That's just going to be... I think necessary, but on the other hand, I think we're going to maybe get smaller and leaner and meaner, but I mean meaner in a good sense, but you get the idea. Um, so I would leave it at that. It's just to say, I, I realize there's a, and by the way, uh, be, this is uh, trying to overcome the problem of hypocrisy is not an invitation to become a sociopath. I don't give a rip what anybody thinks of me. I mean, that's, that's sociopathic, right? But on the other hand, this, oh, I'm so worried and concerned and losing sleep and anxious and I'm, I'm, I'm soft-pedaling the gospel and I'm not making the necessary corrections and I'm, I'm not uh, being prophetic. That's, that's what we, we need to avoid. But becoming a sociopath, you know, it just is, that's not the invitation. So, we, again, it's about balance. But at the end of the day, I think we're out of balance today. And we're out of balance not just today. I think it's a human condition, but we're more out of balance today because we have turned, uh, we have turned, we've reduced love and we have reduced God to being nice. And niceness is an aspect of love, but so is rebuke. Uh, so is warning and caution. Uh, you know, so is consolation. There's a lot of different aspects to love, not just kindness. But we've reduced, we've reduced God and love to kindness. And that's just incorrect. 
So we want to find that balance, and we're not there today, at least culturally speaking. And by the way, Peter Kreeft uh, develops this. He says, this really is one of the biggest reasons why atheism has taken on such dimensions, because God isn't nice. And I won't worship a God who's not nice. So they'll either reinvent God and make a new God. I think that's called idolatry. It's not a, bad, it's not a good thing. Don't do it. Or they just reject the fact that your God allows evil. There is no God, see, because God needs to be nice. And so Kreeft actually traces some of the problems of atheism, not all of it, but a good part of it, though, to the problem of reducing love to being nice. And there's times where God isn't nice, because we do need a good whipping. <laughs> I mean, a good, and a good whipping, not a bad one. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.